Welcome to the Unleash Your Voice podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Driuso, performer and creator by nature, voice specialist and leadership coach by day. And I work with entrepreneurs all over the world to help them unleash their voice and step into the leader that they were destined to be. This podcast is an unfiltered look at what it takes to truly own who you are as a leader, unleash your voice, and get your message to the masses. Are you ready to turn up the volume on your dreams, your desires, and your income? Sweet. Let's get started. What is up, you guys? Welcome to this week's episode of the Unleash Your Voice podcast. I am so excited to bring you my next guest. Not only is he a best-selling author, coach, psychoanalytical thinker whose ideas have helped thousands of people with his books, video series, seminars, but he's also formally educated in psychology, which is really amazing. He has 15 plus years of research that extends deeply into the field of personal development and relationship advice. After graduating university, he is now currently teaching and empowering others with his private practice. And honestly, you guys, this guy, Justin, is so fucking smart, number one. Like, so fucking smart. And he's also such an amazing human being. And we probably could have talked for hours and hours and hours, but we tried to keep it under like an hour and a half-ish. But it was so good. I picked his brain on so many topics. We'll definitely have to bring him back for a part two. It got really good, you guys. Our brains work in very different ways. So this is going to be a very refreshing episode (laughs) Um, for my listeners who listen to me talk all the freaking time. You're going to hear another perspective. And it's really, really good. We had amazing juicy conversations. So without further ado, here is the one, the only Justin Quinton. So for those of us who do not know who you are and have never maybe heard your name before, who are you? What do you do? How did you get into this field? Oh, goodness. What are you so <laughs> amazing lo- at? Such a loaded question. I know. Uh, at this point, I like, I don't even know what I would say I am. At this point, it's all over the place. <laughs> like, okay. spit out your relatable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, it's weird because it's like, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing this my entire life. I was raised on personal development in the household. There was no religion in the household. So it was yeah. very... That's so yeah. wild. Can we talk about that? Because I remember sure. you told me that. I'm like, that's so crazy. Because I was raised in like religion, fear tactics, Roman Catholic, and like a super yeah. unhealthy relationship dynamic right. on all forms. I'm like, what? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was like I still went to Catholic school and stuff, so I got mm-hmm. the the juice of the guilt, right? Like I got that all Catholic guilt, but, gonna get smited by God. Oh yeah. Or oh god, yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, it was, it's one of those things that like in the household, there was no religion, but there was a lot of personal development. So cool. it was kind of thing where, I mean, I, you know, you always try to emulate your parents and whatnot like that when you're young. So I would see my dad like going on with this exercise bike when I was very, very young, one of my first memories. And he actually had, he was like reading this book and it was held on the magazine rack. And I would, uh, you know, he'd get off the bike and when he left, I'd climb up and I'd look and I'd read this book or whatever. Right. And I'd turn the book over and I just remember like one particular statement and it was like, in your moments of decision, your destiny is shaped. And like I, my cognition at that point was not like my comprehension. I wasn't grasping it, but I remember just word by word trying to memorize that. And then like, Oh, I'll think about it later. Right. 
But on the back of the, you know, I flipped the book over, right? It's like a Tony Robbins Awaken the Giant Within. So I don't know if that's like the early age exposure to that or if it's a combination of like, you know, I'm so fucked up. Like like I've had all these issues that I'm like, oh, I've got to work on these. And I started fixing them. And then just through doing that, uh, it became this thing where, you know, I kind of realized like I, I I had a carpet cleaning company in when I was 16 years old. And it was like, I was very entrepreneurial and stuff. And it was because I guess I had all this early age exposure at 16 range where I was like, oh, what are your guys' businesses? <laughs> I'm like talking to like other high school kids. <laughs> They're like, uh, what? And I'm like, like yeah, I just go knock and <laughs> Oh God, yeah. Like, so it's weird, right? Like I've always, I've kind of had like, I guess an attunement towards this. I've always been very obsessed with this stuff. And then I really hated the industry. I really did not want to do this because I saw like two different sides. I saw people who were using it like a religion or just something to believe in. Their life didn't change. And then I saw like, uh, other versions of it where they'd be like successful people talking about it. And I was like, this is really, there's a range of people. And if you've ever been to like, you know, a Tony Robbins seminar or something like that, or any of these seminars, you'll see in the parking lot, you'll have like Bentleys and Ferraris and stuff like this. And you'll also have like people that you can tell, like they just sold everything to come to this event. So mm-hmm. like, there's a range of people who, who take, uh, take in this type of content. Uh, for me, I hated it though. Cause I didn't want to be like this raw, raw type of dude. But I, uh, I just kind of, I kept studying philosophy, kept doing this. And I was like, I guess I got to go into school if I want to like be a psychologist and do this mm-hmm. sort of route. And it was like, I would say like my second or third year in, I was like, oh shit, like maybe I don't like taking like dysfunctional people and making them functional, but rather taking functional people and helping them make, like explode in their results. Right. So that's a, that's a life coach. It's a little bit different. Right. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I, I end up all my time is spent right now on like, you know, creating content to help people get back to a functional level. And I think that's just where I ended up being good at. So I guess, yeah, there's no real reason for where I'm at at this point. It just kind of showed up and it was kind of like, I've always been driven. I knew I was always going to be doing this sort of work, but I'm also like a little salty about it. Like I don't, it's just like, I'm like, I don't fit into this like environment of how it is. So I, I guess at this point I just kind of wing things and here I am. And you know, it's like, like I think I'm at, I just hit like 10,000 students. And that was really weird. So I was like, oh my God, that was kind of, that was a little Congratulations. weird. Congratulations. <laughs> Fuck, that's oh, cool. <laughs> so I guess I'm winging it. I, I love I, that. I say, yeah. Yeah. I totally feel, it's so funny because I love that you're like, you like came out of the womb, like entrepreneurial. I definitely like wow. came out of the womb, like jazz hands first is what I said. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like showed up Fair. on the scene. Right. Um, but that's, that's so wild that you were always like an entrepreneurial kid. I was an entrepreneurial kid. I feel like in a very strange way in the fact that I'm just like really fucking stubborn. So okay. when they're like, Oh, like you didn't get this lead role in a play. I was like, all right. Like, you know what? I didn't get the lead role in the high school play. I'm going to fucking write a play. We're going to make the cost. Oh. I'm going to get my friends to do the props for it. Also, just because you won't have this me in the play at the high school, I'm going to apply to the drama festival at the university of Calgary. We're going to perform <laughs> it there. <laughs> it's like, was it was more so of a rebel kind of attitude, like yeah. very much fuck your system. I'll make my own goddamn system. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I'm just like the exact same person in that aspect. Okay. Where I'm like, okay, I don't fit in. Fuck your system. Like, I'm just going to change everything and do it my own way. That's so funny. So when, like, what was your transition when you first kind of started building your own business? Like, what even was that for you? So initially it was that I, like, I'd always, I've always studied personal development. This has like mm-hmm. been my entire life. Yeah. Um, I would share it with like close friends and stuff and people would start to come to me for advice and things along these lines. Mm-hmm. I didn't charge at all. I did. 
I coached like, Lord, I'm at, I started coaching yeah, around that like 16 range or so. And it was like, I, and people were just, it was weird. It would be like people's parents would ask me and stuff like that. I'd go to people's houses and they'd be like, yeah, it was weird. Like, and, but here's the funny thing. I actually started doing videos when I was about, I think about 14. Oh I started just making videos, like, just like, and cause YouTube at the time was not like what it is now where you would mm-hmm. share platform. It, it was more of those things where it was like, I need a place to put a video on that I could send to my friend. I didn't yeah. think it would like get seen. So there are videos of me at like 14 teaching this stuff. And it's weird. And like, it's, it's super cringy. Really. I'm like, totally going to go see it. Well, <laughs> I'm going to fucking that shit. <laughs> it's tough to fight. It's tough to fight. But thank God. Challenge like, accepted. Oh, but uh, I mean, yeah. So I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I didn't really make any money doing it. I didn't want to make money off it. It was just something I did for fun. And then I... Um, and I just like making people laugh and things like this. But that's, so wait, what was it like growing up as a child prodigy? Because that's what it sounds like. You're just, you're just yeah, like, like, what? It, like what? okay, this is a super weird one. I so when I moved out of my parents' place, right? You know, you're packing up all of your old mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I, I'm packing up all these old like books and journals and stuff. As I always like had journaled and I'd always written things down and things and ideas and such. And this is like very normal to me. But uh, at the time, I'm like packing this up. And one of my friends is like, oh, is this like your old childhood journal or whatever? And she's looking through it. And as she's reading it, she's like looking at the dates and stuff. She's like, how old are you here? And in there, you can see that I say, uh, I'm like, I realize that when I'm in a good mood, I can remember only good experiences. But when I'm in a bad mood, I can only remember bad experiences. This means my state dictates my memory. This is the shit that I'm writing in like grade six. So I'm like already kind of like thinking along these lines and I'm, I'm recognizing how subjective this experience is. And from there, I was just like, and like most people are like, well, you know, Susie asked me to the dance and like this, like this kind of shit. So it's like, Jeremy said that I didn't, you know, this crap, but it's like, I don't know. I just, that's always what I've been into. And it's, I suppose it's like, I was super, super nerdy, super, super, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like it just, I didn't fit in in this regards of stuff. And it, it, this stuff wasn't cool. I remember getting like, like, picked on and bullied and shit because I was the kid with like my headphones in in high school because I knew that like if my external world wasn't good I could create I can control my internal world so I just had my headphones in and I was listening to Brian Tracy like from going from class to class and I you know it was like as it's on like those like Panasonic CD Walkman sort of things and like yeah people making fun of me and stuff whatever right but it's funny though it's like almost everyone has made fun of me at this point is at some point or another like I would say probably about at least once a week or a little less now, I'd say maybe once every two weeks, I'll get that like call that like last that someone's going to kill themselves kind of call. And they're like, Justin, I'm at my, you know, you're the, you know, this kind of stuff, right? I get a lot of those. I'm people's last resort a lot of times. So, and I've gotten calls from almost all the people who have bullied me. So it's one of those weird things where like, it's like, I must be on the right path. I suppose doing this, but the, in terms of the business wise of it, uh, I didn't, I would do, so what, initially what I started doing was like, I would go to nightclubs and work on my own social anxiety. And I just go and like talk to girls, talk to like random strangers, do all these social challenges to try and like break out of my shell and such. Right. Cause like even, even the thought of like talking to like any date I'd go on, I would actually puke before and during on the day. It was, I get so much anxiety about it. So that's where I was kind of coming from with even looking into a lot of this material. Yeah. And then that ended up me kind of being like, okay, if I go to nightclubs and stuff and I was, I'd be like, back then they didn't ID you. Like they didn't have a machine that would ID you. They'd kind of look. So I had like, (laughs) you know, not my ID. (laughs) I'd like sneak into clubs and like, I'd I'd be like 
going around trying to get numbers or whatever, like just trying to like talk to random strangers and like work through that anxiety. And I was just doing this for fun. It became very effective. And I kind of started to like, that's what was the, my first book was all about that. And so I wrote that first book. Uh, and then I, st- and that was about me going to nightclubs and doing this stuff in the process of getting rid of social anxiety. How and old then, were you when you did that? When I was doing the, the, when the you wrote the book, book. I wrote the book. Oh, was that in, I, what well, that's the thing is I had all this writing and then I just kind of like condensed it and formulated it. So I suppose I started writing in like 2012 and then I got published in 2015, August oh, 2015. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that book became a bestseller on iTunes for like this brief moment. But then what I noticed as well is, is like, okay, well I gotta, like, I'm like, I don't know where to really take this sort of thing. Uh, maybe I'll just, cause I realized that people would buy the book, they would read it, but they wouldn't apply the stuff. And I was like, okay, well, what do people need? Let's turn it into like an audio book. So it's something that people can like listen to. So I turned that into an audio book that was like, eh, people didn't really want the audio. So I was like, okay, I'll actually go out and I'll do the hidden camera of me doing all the exercises. So we went and re-recorded it. And so that's that one, the one course I have, which is called the fear 2.0. That's me actually going out in the field and you can see me, one of the, the, if the things in there is you got to purposely embarrass yourself. So you forcefully like, and I, I would go around, I'm like, oh, walk up to random strangers, like, can you pinch my nipple? And like, dead face. And like, they'd be like, what? Oh my God, get away. Like, and you see this on camera and stuff. Yeah. So I actually oh my show myself doing it. And when people can see me doing it, it's a lot easier for them to apply it. But, do you know anything about performance art? Uh, I can't say I do. Oh I my <laughs> God. This is like a performance art 101. Is like, use, like pretty much, like put yourself in like really fucked up scenarios to like change something like in yourself anyways this is super funny but I used to do that stuff all the time in school for performance art because they'd be like Danielle you like fall it's so funny because my old um like my old performance art teacher Eric Musk Bettis who's like crazy and amazing and like does like so fucking weird shit and he's amazing he would be like you you are way too you care too much about what people think and I'd be like, oh, you want to see? <laughs> and I would, yeah, just like put myself in a really uncomfortable social situations and just be like, yeah, cool. And now I, I, I would say I'm pretty fearless. I always say I only need one enabler now. So for example, like if we're like at Aussie Rules, it's like the piano bar and they're like, we need someone to do like, you know, a lyrical representation dance thing of like Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to do uh, that. And someone's okay. like, Danielle, you should. And I'm like, all right. Like, it's one person. It's like the emperor's like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck, that's fine. Like, and no matter what fear I feel, it's like, if someone's like, yeah, you should. I'm like, why not? Right. Like, so well, when did that start for you? When, when, when did that, like that sort of, cause that's, that's like a theme in as well. Like with you, you're, that's a rebel attitude. It's the yeah. ability to kind of like, like, you know, I'm going to do it my own fucking way, right? Like, but did that, was there a trip, was there a transition point for you at that point? Or have you always been that way? I would say there was definitely, there was moments of that. There was like moments of that throughout my life. And it was like, I wanted things so badly. And then people would tell me no. And so I'd like play in the box that they gave me is pretty much what I say. Like when I was eight years old, I was totally that annoying kid. Like I literally came out of the womb jazz hands first, went directly into drama camp and was like, I'm going to be a fucking movie star, whether you like it or not parents. And like coming from like a football family, hilarious, (laughs) like hilarious. But I asked my dad when I was eight years old, I was like, dad, I need an agent. And he's like, no. And I was like, fine, then I'm going to wait till I'm 18. I can sign it myself. And I did. I, when I was 18, I like fucking got an agent, like on my 18th birthday. Oh, wow, cool. I was just like, fuck it. Like, 
if you won't let me, I'll play in your box until I don't have to anymore. And then I'm going to go forth and do my own thing. But I think the, I would say the day that I grew a backbone was when I was in my internship and it was that thing like over and over people just telling me no and me having to like build it myself, build it myself, build it myself. And then one time I was in an internship and the managing director was not a nice person. There's a word that I never use to actually describe her as. <laughs> she just like hated me because I would walk in and be like, good morning. And she was like polar opposite of me. Definitely did not like me. So she was very, very mean to me and she made me cry a lot. And then I remember one time I was venting to a friend in the car and I was like, I don't fucking get it. Like why, why I'm so triggering for her. And I'm like fucking done. Like I hate having to come into work, like feeling like I'm walking on eggshells and stuff like that. And then she said something along the lines of, well, Danielle, maybe if you were like less bubbly and like less yourself, maybe it wouldn't be so triggering for her. Mm. And I just like was like table flip moment of I refuse to fucking do anything like change who I am to make someone else feel comfortable ever fucking again. I'm like, I'm fucking done with that. Like, sorry, nope, not going to happen. And then I just became incredibly stubborn about that. So that's cool. Yeah. So it's like, it, like, cause yeah, I remember you posted something and it was like your first, like come, some of your first videos and then to what your videos are now. <laughs> when I was and like I whispering into, I'm like, hello, I would like to talk to you all about this specific thing. It's so weird. Yeah. So it's like, it's in a weird way. It's like, yeah, you're just, it's like that. And that's what I'm guess I'm trying to figure out is like, did this transition for you? Or was this like, you were already one way and now you're just getting out of your own way. And that's the whole thing was just shedding yeah. off the bullshit. It was literally stop caring so much, like really understanding the fact that no matter what I do, someone is going to have an opinion for it. And it's completely subjective mm. for what they're experiencing. Like we were, I was talking about before we hit, hit record, right? It's mm. like the idea of everything anyone has ever told me and understanding that even like, cause I was bullied too for like being so loud and like all that stuff and being like the curvy girl and all this stuff. Um, and it's, it's like understanding that every single thing anyone ever told me was completely subjected to their own fucking belief system and their own experiences and everything. And it was just almost liberating. And that's the moment where it's like, the more and more I discover that, the more and more free I am to just like fuck shit up online. Mm. Yeah. Now, can I, can I play a devil's advocate or at least break your brain on that topic? Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> I have such a feeling that this is going to be like the best conversation because you're such a devil's so, advocate person. Yes. I, I am. I I'm like... I, okay, so for me, the, the yeah. one side is I, I see things as very much paradoxical. So mm -hmm. the one element, you have this hyper congruence in what your message is, who you are in this sort of element, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other flip side of this paradox is very much social intelligence, what people can receive and give it in a certain sense. So if we look towards like a corporate culture, there's mm -hmm. a reason for corporate culture. It's because, you know, it reduces the polarity between like a masculine and a feminine sort of thing. Yeah. So there's not so much sexual tension. There's this yeah. like almost like neutral sort of like identity sort of thing. And now that sucks for people like you and me. We're like, that's straight talks. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. There is a reason for it. And it's because it, it makes it so people understand the social normals. So we know how to replace people, but we also know how to, uh, how to get along. So there's not as much like abuse and all this kind of shit happening. Yeah. Right? And so there's, there's like that control. I was like compared, like there's like the, the whole reason why we're like shamed into being a certain way, even like corporate or like anything is because there's like, yeah a sense of control. Like you have to be able to do this job because if you get out of line, we can't control you. And if we can't control you, then everything crumbles. And it's like, yeah. did you ever study? Um, I can't remember if it was in a queer studies course that I took in university or women's studies, but there's something called like the slippery slope. Okay. And it was like, pretty much we need to shame everyone. All their sexuality needs to be shamed out of them because mm. if someone even remotely is 
anything other than asexual, everyone's just going to orgy all the time. So what we need to do is we need to just like neutralize everyone. And there's like this big thing of women have to be like completely like not sexual at all because they're like Mm. complete muses and minxes and blah, blah, blah. And then like men have to be like be polar opposite because they can't like come together at all or else we're never going to have society like norms or anything. And it's that same idea of like, like queen, king, peasants, blah, 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 blah. Keep everyone like in order. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, there's, there's, I suppose, yeah, there's always like, when you look at the like, hierarchical systems and structures like that, mm-hmm. like they are necessary though. Yeah. Because the one side is it's like, uh, have you heard of like holarchies or anything like this? Hierarchies yeah. and holarchies. So they're, they're both hierarchical structures, but holarchies are essentially like, you can't have a paragraph without sentences. You can't have sentences without, you know, words. You can't have words without letters. And mm-hmm. so, Every stage requires the prior. And so certain elements like that, when we look towards like whole, this is getting into like philosophy of stuff, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I have a feeling we'll be like all over the place. <laughs> I know, but, oh yeah. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah, essentially yeah. those are, those are structures that sometimes are required, right? So if we don't have those structures, it is, there's a certain level of chaos. So the question though of things is like, if we can assume that almost all of our actions have an intrinsic responsibility and intrinsic meaning yeah. placed to them, mm-hmm. one side, yes, it is absolutely subjective. The flip side to this is like if I go into a job interview dressed like a fool, right? Like just mm-hmm. dressed in sweats or something. I'm like, whatever's like comfortable to me mm-hmm. or something like that, which might not be a suit. Mm-hmm. I bloody hate ties. You'll never catch me in a tie. That's no like, I, oh, I hate It's like a noose. That's what it looks like to me. It's like a corporate <laughs> noose. Like, like I'll do everything oh to get up. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm like, but that's the one thing is like, if I, for me, I don't resonate with that stuff. Yeah, but I also ex- like accept the responsibility that if I go into a, a job interview, not uh, um, we'll call it like conforming to those normals, or whatever. Yeah. That's not socially intelligent. I'm not going to get the job, mm-hmm. and I'm not to blame for that. It's just that like where and this social intelligence falls into almost all categories. So we can look at the corporate world. We can look at dating world as well. We can look at like even in terms of like entrepreneurial world too, right? So the one attitude is yes. There's enough variety in this world so you can get whatever variation you like, right? You can find the correct people that are going to work for you, or you can have a more broader message that reaches a larger audience. So I suppose it depends on your goals, but that's where I wanted to pick your brain on, on that, the difference between like, yeah, like the one side, which is total congruence versus the other side, which is social intelligence. Yeah. And there's this huge thing that like, I'm really into right now. I, I always like teach two um, main like schools of thought, I guess you could say. And okay. one is like, know your shit. And the other is like, know who the fuck you are, like know yourself. So like when you know your shit and know yourself, like you have total clarity, but if one of those things are off then you do not have clarity in like your next steps and stuff like that. So one of the things is like for the longest time, like that first video of me, it was trying to be social like normalcy or whatever, which is not who I am, but it took me a while to figure out who I am and know like where I fit in with that. So like, for me, I know now, like I'm totally polarizing and I'm cool with that before it was like, Oh my God, everyone like me, like, love me, like all this stuff. But then there's also this aspect of like knowing who you are and knowing your shit, like, what do you actually want? And like, if you want a place in corporate or something like that, you're going to have to play in that box. And it's like knowing that you're going to have to play in the box and like being okay with that and being okay with, and like more than okay. Some people are like, I fucking love that. Like that sounds Mm. awful to me. Anything where like I'm in an office where the walls aren't pink, like you can't see my office (laughs) right now, but like everything's pink and gold and like, right. It's just like awful to me and feels so cringy. So it's understanding that. But I, I guess when I, 
think of like that unprofessional thing that we were talking about. It's yeah, yeah. so many people that I work with and I would say, well, I don't know. I work with like mainly females, but okay. what they do is they look at the corporate structure that they like live their whole life with. And now that they're finally quote unquote free, they still take that box with them and try to build their business and a personal brand based on the subjective nature of like a corporation or like what their past rules were. So it's like everything is in the aspect of that. It's like, yeah, it's subjective. Like when you go into the corporate land or whatever, they're not going to be like, Oh, Danielle, like, what do you want? (laughs) Like, okay, this is the structure. You have to fit in where, when you have your own personal brand, I see so many people looking around to everyone else being like, Oh shit, I don't know who I am. And I don't know if I know like my shit. So can someone tell me how to live my life? And that's where it gets kind of screwy. And like a lot of anxiety comes up and stuff like that because they just feel like they're not grounded. Mm-hmm. I think even like on my end of it, where yeah. I get like confused on that topic is like, I don't necessarily say I'm a life coach. Cause I don't feel that's like what I necessarily, I'm like more of a philosopher or like I psychoeducate people on stuff like, but if I use the terminology, which is congruent to me, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm a philosopher who's hiring a philosopher. So from a business perspective of it, I do have to, I do have to come with a certain framework and that's just a consumer mindset of some sense of it. How do you blend the two? Do you find it? Um, I always say I'm a voice coach. Like that's my thing now before it was like different where I I always say it's kind of like feeding a dog medicine. Have you ever fed a dog medicine? Oh yeah. And you have to like (laughs) put the medicine in the cheese and you had to be like, Oh dear God, please eat this. Before it was like, I was feeding business coaches my medicine by like putting it in like a strategy cheese. That is so funny because that's not who I am. So I'd be like, great. So uh, we're going to, I want to teach you how to like be fully expressed in your content, but I'm scared you won't buy that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do content strategy and pop that in there. Hopefully you (laughs) eat that. And it works for some time. But then for a while, I was like, it's just so not what I do. And I remember being in a retreat with like these people who I was looking up to for years and years and being in a room with them and my business coach at the time, Taylor Manning, she was like, can you teach a voice workshop right now? And I was like, what? I only need one enabler, I, even if I'm terrified. So I'm like, yeah, fuck, why not? Right. Yeah. So I do it. And people were like sobbing and crying and they're like, I've never felt so connected to my voice or who I am or all this stuff. And then throughout the entire like weekend, people are still coming up to me, asking me questions. And I'm like, guess what? I don't have to feed people with the cheese anymore, but I do have to be I guess, more specific to what I teach on. So which is why I always go by like the term voice coach because then people are like, oh, what's that? I'm like, it's everything self-expression. People just think it's like the sound of your voice, but it's every single thing Mm. that makes you who you are that gets the inside of you to the outside world and paints your reality. And even with your voice, if you have emotional tension, you have tension in your voice and I can hear it. If you have fear, I fear. I can hear it through your voice. I can feel it in your energy. There's like actual resonators that are physically on your body that line up with the energy centers and the chakras and stuff like that. It's like, it's all so fucking connected, but I get people in the door by being like, I'm a voice coach. Mm. And then I'm like public speaking. And they're like, I want to do that. I'm like, what's, what are you so afraid of? And they're like, what people think. And I'm like, ah, let's dive into that. (laughs) I was like, that's the actual issue here. Yeah. Yeah. That one that, Oh, it's so tricky. I, I was recently talking with someone about this and we were like talking about the whole, like do looks matter. And they're like, I want your fucking, what's, give me the straight answer on this, Justin. And I was like, oh, don't, there's no, there's never, there's never a yes or no with me. It's this long, complex, nuanced, (laughs) but I was like, one of the things that I was saying, I was like, okay, do looks matter. I was like, well, let's put it this way. It's like, if you're walking down a hallway 
And without even talking to that person, someone's walking past you, you can pick up something on them. You can pick up their emotional state, right? Yeah. And yeah. in a weird way, we're all practical psychologists. We've learned to, we're hypersensitive to social nuance. So one degree of this is like, if I just work out my right bicep, then mm-hmm. what's going to happen is my right bicep is going to be proportionally larger than my, my left one, right? So mm-hmm. essentially what will end up happening is like, if I have a internal belief of something, right? Mm-hmm. And that's causing me to have an emotion. Well, let's say if I say, what does a depressed person look like? What does an angry person look like? You already visually know what they look like. You know, and you can feel it in your down. body. It's an energy. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. Cause I teach that so, in like the same way. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like, what'll happen is like, you will create a muscular contortion towards that. And through years of doing this, it's like, you can pick up on this. So very quickly I can look at some, and this isn't, it's not necessarily that you can even cognitively do this. Like some people are really good cognitively and consciously. They can be like this, 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 and point out other things. But all of us, almost in a certain sense, are practical, intuitive readers of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we can actually just pick up what's being subcommunicated. So that comes down to like even just like habituated beliefs that manifest in the physiology, right? So it's just like our internal world really does make our external world, simply put. So the, mm-hmm. like, do looks matter, right? Like these questions of the, that sort of thing. Very interesting that you say that, that with the voices, the exact same yeah. thing. It's yeah. the same thing. And it's so funny because... I guess for the longest time I was teaching people content and stuff like that. But even in university, like what I love to teach on is like how your energy goes into your body, how your body goes into your voice. And even like when you're learning mask work, cause like a lot of the stuff that I do that I, I, I might not talk about a lot, but it's like so grounded in my teaching is I did a lot of mask work, like creating building masks and then going and performing all this stuff and like community dell'arte, which is like the Italian, like performance where all they did was masks and there were stock characters. And when you look at a mask and you create a mask, you first like run your hands along the mask and you find, okay, like what is the energy of this mask? What does this feel like in my body? How would this person walk? Like before you even like put the mask on, how does this person feel? Like how would it feel if I walked like this? How would it feel if they like, what is this energy of this other person? And then you go from that and you embody it in your body. And then you start to walk and you start to like embody it fully and then you put the mask on and then you move to speech and so it's like from that you like embody it and then it's just a self-expression it's like it just like filters out so that's really cool that you said that because what I always say is it's almost like you form an identity Mm. like with whatever you feel so if you're like oh yeah I'm I'm just always so sad or something like you can feel it or one thing that is my personal pet peeve because I don't believe it. And I would love to hear your opinion on this, but this idea of when people say I'm shy, I'm like, no, you're not. You're not shy. Let me tell you that I want to hear your opinion because I feel like you'll be like, you'll have a really good idea of this. But when people say, oh, I'm shy, that's like an identity because we all have it accessible to us. It's a human emotion embodiment and an energy. It's an energy that lies in your body. If I say, okay, so be shy right now. You know exactly what that feels like in your chest. You know exactly what that feels like in your voice. You know exactly what that feels like in your body. You've been shy before you take that memory and you're like, okay, perfect. And your body is the best fucking recording system. So like Mm. things will trigger and like, you'll just like fully embody that. And you already know. If I said, okay, now be super confident. Your shoulders will automatically go back. They're like both accessible to you, but people use these energies that are all accessible to all of us as an identity. And when you start to form that as an identity, it's harder to break free of it because now it's become a part of who you are. It's like a name. It's like a mask. It's like who you embody. So that's one thing that bugs me personally is like when people say, Oh, I can't do that because I'm shy. And I'm like, are you shy? Or is this one thing that rubs up against something that makes you uncomfortable? And therefore you're using this to protect yourself because if someone's like, Oh, I am shy. And that's just who I am. I guarantee there's one person in their life that they're not shy with. Yeah. 
It, okay, I want to hear all your opinion and go. Well, no, I was going to say, it's like, I, I totally agree with that as well. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a certain thing that I kind of operate with is like, if something is just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm just a certain way, like, oh, that's just me. Or it's like, oh, that, like, that's rich people, or that's like mm-hmm. successful people, or that's like attractive mm-hmm. people. Anything that seems automatic in your life just tells me that you're unaware of the recipe that creates that. So if, if something's automatic, it's very much that you don't understand the ingredients that make up that level of things. And so that's what makes things unaware. So if someone's just like, oh, I'm just shy. It's like, well, you're unaware of the variables for the, the ingredients to make up the recipe of shy. Mm-hmm. So that's one side to this, right? So when people talk about awareness, it's becoming aware of the variables that create certain things. So that's one side of it. Now, there's a second component to this, which absolutely is like when we're talking about self-image, self-concepts and stuff, right? So if you're shy and you, you're, that's an identity and that's the, that we're talking about the psychology of stuff, mm-hmm. there's also another other side to this, which is the biological imperative of things, right? And there's also a, a cultural side to this. There's also a societal mm-hmm. side to this. So what ends up happening, I see, is that like uh, if we, we kind of dive into this, it's like, if we look towards the biological side, you're going to see that some people have natural proclivities towards being more anxious because there are genetic differences in people. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of, this is, it could be like a chicken and the egg sort of situation. It's like, well, what comes first? Does the identity come first? Then the biology or is the biology coming first? At the end of the day, I kind of like look at this and I'm like, okay, well, we don't know where it's, what's coming up with it first. Right. But we can kind of go with like, let's do a little bit of both. Let's take a little bit from the psychology side. Let's take a little bit from the biology side. Let's take a little bit from the social side. Let's take a little bit from the cultural side. And so when I look at like solutions and stuff, one side is, yeah, let's focus on those self-concepts. The other side is like, let's, let's work on the actual behaviors you're going to take and force through things that are uncomfortable. That's another side Mm -hmm. to it. Right. And by forcing through uncomfort, we're going to actually develop a new system of how we interact with anxiety sort of thing. Right? So adrenaline doesn't pump through our systems every time we get up on stage. So mm-hmm. that's one side to it. But there's going to be a genetic wiring to you that some people are going to be more sensitive towards this. Now, a lot of us, we kind of, because of like the, kind of the lens in which we kind of look at these problems, when we see someone who's like more sensitive towards social scenarios or we see someone who's naturally anxious, we're like, that's a bad thing. We got to get rid of that. The, the one thing I've noticed with almost all mental illness and all these issues is that they almost have a positive flip side too, if you can learn to integrate it into society in a weird yeah. way. Mm-hmm. So if you're anxious, you're naturally an anxious person and you can learn to rock that anxious, you can foreshadow pitfalls and things like this. If you're depressed, we see people with depression have higher levels of emotional intelligence. What do you think that is? They have a higher IQs because when people are happy and naturally happy, they party, they have a good time. When you're in a bad mood, you ponder, you think, you ask why, what is this? What is all that? So what do you think that does to an individual for long periods of time? It makes them smarter. It makes them more intelligent. Now, we're not saying that, you know, we're not going to go ahead and say, like, the most intelligent people are depressed. But what we will say is that all these things have a positive side to them if integrated correctly. So, Mm -hmm. yes, you can be anxious, but you can also be like, this is also what makes me very good at running businesses, at understanding pitfalls and, you know, depending on how you want to use it, right? But so for me, what I look at more is not necessarily like how do we – you could – if we look at a near plasticity, you could change genetic wiring in this sort of sense. It takes five to six years, this sort of, or like a long period of time to actually change that. Like anxiety, for example, one of the things that I've been really studying is uh, the different levels of near plasticity in your brain. So we can see right now that when we look at the limbic system, that has the lowest levels of near plasticity. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about things like anxiety, what I can see is like everyone will kind of go towards meditation, right? That's like mm-hmm. the big thing that's pushed. Well, that's okay 
that's okay to do it. It works a little bit. There's lots of research that shows it works. But when I actually look at like, what does it take to change someone's like brain chemistry so they do not fire off fear? So this isn't about creating mindfulness and creating the distance, uh, you know, the space between the reaction and the stimulus. This is about actually changing someone's wiring so that they do not have a physiological reaction to fear. Well, I know that if it's stemming from the limbic system and that has to do with like fight, flight, fuck, freeze, all these things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to know that the only way that system learns is through trauma. So that's not going to meditation is not going to be hyper effective on that. What that needs at that point is a level of exposure. So we can see if we look at that, it's just like, okay, well, if you want to actually change your brain chemistry of this, you're going to have to go through some pre-traumatic shit. It's going to feel traumatic. And it's going to feel like you pushing through that fear repeatedly over and over and over. And as that happens, you're training your brain what this means now. So then that secondary stuff like meditation or self-concepts can come into play. So this is, these are complex issues. But mm-hmm. like I said, if we take like a little bit from self-concepts, if we take a little bit from behavioral identities or like behavioral actions, a little bit from cultural ideas, like all these different things, uh, you, that's a way, that's a very, very effective way of like kind of, kind of come about it. But there are differences. So the long answer to are people naturally shy. <laughs> I tell you, there's never a straight answer with, with me on this shit. Like, it's just like, I'm like, That's okay, so let, let's dive into it. And it's I'm, so good though. But I want you to, okay. So I want you to expand on that. Now that, now that we're here, I want you to expand on that. So when people feel, okay. Cause there's, I guess like in the community that I'm in, cause I'm in like woo woo spiritual, like law of attraction yeah. world, like yeah. pretty much majority of the time. So there's this concept and idea of like scarcity, like when you fall into patterns of scarcity, so which is like the same as the feeling and sensation of like fear and stuff like that. So with what you're saying of kind of changing the way your like body and the chemicals and the things that fire off when you feel that, how would you rewire your brain or like what has been your experience mm-hmm. with things like money? Because money is just such an easy topic because it's like, yeah. I feel like the biggest thing for people and the biggest fear for people a lot of the time is like money and that can trigger such intense energy and emotion so what has that been for you like or even things that you've seen is like rewiring to I guess like think more abundantly or rewiring to feel more confident and like feel like you can't fuck it up even if you tried I'll be honest I don't I do always have a I could fuck this up yeah yeah that does click in because in my head I'm playing this, this might, it's just fun for me, but there's serious consequences. When I get calls from people who are like, this is their last resort. Mm-hmm. There's some serious consequences. When I'm dealing with people's neurology, they're I'm dealing with people's like, these are the deepest fears. People make life altering decisions based on this. I take on a certain level of responsibility knowing like, how am I going to best serve this person? So I do take it very serious. I'm very concerned with, with, am I going to fuck a person up when I give advice mm-hmm. and I have methods for, for avoiding projection and this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I actually use different meta models and such. And like, we will not get into spiral dynamics. That's, that's my main, <laughs> we're not touching that, but that's essentially, I'll use a meta model like that uh, to help me not project, to understand someone's deepest value systems and then tell them what they need based on where they're at in this value system, not based on my judgment, not based on what mm-hmm. I think is good or bad for someone. And so that's what I personally do to try and avoid like to, I guess, give myself like an insurance policy, if you will. And like the best sort of thing I can think of is, is doing something like that. But yeah. And I think that's so important too, just to tell you that I think it's so, so important. I feel like for, um, a really long time, I would get very, very almost like emotionally tied to my clients. And now it's, it's the aspect of like, if someone's in a hole, 
I want to throw them a rope. I don't want to get in the hole with them and be like, how do we get out of here? <laughs> like, what do, what do we do? Or something like yeah. that. Like, you have to be able to not project your own shit onto somebody. Oh, well, it, it, here's the thing that's funny about people. And like, it's one of those things where, and this is one of the things I, I, I teach in like that new course, whatever I put out, which is that I don't, I don't battle with people's imaginations, which is what most people are doing. So when you're fighting or you're trying to fix a friend or any, you're trying to help someone, yeah. what you really end up doing is you're trying to go down to their level and you're like, well, what if we do it this way? And they're like, no, it's not going to work. And it's like, well, how about if we look at it from this perspective? And a lot of psychologists or therapists, coaches, they'll do this. They'll actually go down to level and they'll try and fight with someone's imagination. And that's a losing battle because they're, I think about how good we are at making excuses. Like it's just, oh, yeah. it's never fucking end. Oh, I'm so good at bullshitting myself. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. Like, and the smarter you are, the even the worse it is because yeah. it's like you'll intellectualize things. So like, I didn't fail that test. I, 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 I explored a different alternative. Like it's just. So it's like that's so me. Uh, that's so funny. So it's like it's one of those things where. What I look towards when I'm working with someone is like, okay, well, I'm not going to – right now, if someone's in a hole like that, I'm not going to fight their mind. I'm going to fight their mood. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to elevate their mood first to a solution-oriented place because when you're – they're in a good mood. When you're thinking correctly and you're in a, you would talk in like a flow state or something like this, right? Oh, yeah. I call it the in flow that zone. Moment, <laughs> yeah. So it's the flow zone. So it's like if you're in the flow zone, creative ideas just happen. Solutions just happen. There's no resistance. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I'm very concerned with like, okay, well, I got to get someone to a, a solution oriented place. And then from there we can explore like, what's the better place. But when someone's coming to me initially, it's just like, and they're seeing things low, they're making conclusions and decisions from a scarcity based place like that. That's where we know there's going to be some trouble in terms of wiring people to be that way. I don't believe that. One of the reasons is because we, we, we stem from a paleolithic core, paleolithic programming. So what's going to happen is like, we are wired for scarcity and survival. That's yeah. our core, that's our core biology. And what this leads towards is like, and this is the, the new book actually I'm writing, which I won't, could you imagine? Just listen to how I'm talking now. Could you imagine? This book is like 300,000 words so far. This is nuts. <laughs> and on one topic, it's just, it's bloody. It, oh, this oh thing my, is, my favorite thing is how different we are because you want to know, okay, so I'm writing a book too and it's called Fuck okay. Mediocre, A Memoir of a Badass <laughs> with a Good Ass and it's a choose your own adventure <laughs> novel. But it's I love all, that title. Right? Thank you. It's accurate, right? Relatable. Um, but also it's like a choose your own adventure personal development book, which I'm also excited Ooh. for because I'm a child. I know, right? So Very good. Cool. But like the difference of that and like all my entire book is now like in the notes app in my like on my um computer or whatever and i'm mm. i probably have like six chapters but they're all like only three pages long and then they have homework okay. <laughs> i'm like the difference between like both of us <laughs> like, i'm like oh wow shit yeah like i cannot do that <laughs> yeah it's and i and that's what i'm saying i'm like i i think i live more in that philosopher range of stuff i, know, I love that it's hilarious it, for what i look towards is like okay well if we have a survival-based core mm-hmm. right then on top of that that gives us some let's call it conclusions about stuff. So when I would actually psychoanalyze people, I go really, really deep. I saw some pretty nasty traits, not only, just in, not only in myself, but in other people. I'm like, fuck, they're just selfish, narcissistic. Yeah. They're greedy. Like, what the fuck am I, what is this? As I'm talking, when I go really, really deep beyond like, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Why, why? And it goes to love way past there. I'm talking, going very deep into like core like hypothetical stuff where you're like, okay, in this scenario, what would you do? And they're like, well, I fucking would do whatever it takes. Like I would see some pretty nasty shit. And I'm like, like what who would this? you throw in front of a bus if you had to? Type oh, shit? 
Oh yeah. But it's like, and so I was like, what is this? Cause I don't believe people are nasty at their cores. I, I was like, what the hell is, what's going on here? And so one of the things I realized is that what I'm actually tapping into is survival tactics. This is a survival core. And that's that scarcity stuff. <clears throat> sorry, that scarcity stuff we talk about. So what ends up happening is that you have this core of scarcity. You then create different, we'll call it like an ego that protects you from the ugliness of that. And that ego is psychological protection. That then gives you a set of, we're going to call it like, like ego, like I'm trying to think of like what I can't remember what I call it here, but it was like ego conservation systems, right? So it's just like, mm-hmm. you will do anything to pre- preserve your competence. So the smarter you are, the worse it is for you because you'll, this is that intellectualization. So this mm-hmm. is like, some people just straight up deny it. Like, did you do this? Like, no, no, you know, intellectualize it. So what people do is they have these like defense mechanisms to not going deep, deep down. And then on top of that, we create beliefs on top of that, which protect us to rationalize what we're doing, but backwards rationalize our actions. And then on top of that, we can have like behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what I look towards when I'm diving in, I'm like, why don't you have what you have, right? And we go deep, 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 really deep down into where we get into those defense mechanisms. Some people will use humor or they'll use misdirection. So you're oh like, my well, God, I you love that? deflection and humor. That's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I use misdirection big time where I'll just be like, I'm like, oh, that's important, but we got to look at this. Like, it's just like this. It never fucking ends. because It's essentially trying to go deep, deep, deep down. It's very difficult to do. We're not wired to do that. And so one of the things I look towards is like, how do we get deeper down? Well, we can start to use hypotheticals. So we can ask questions like, and you've probably heard of these ones before, which is like, uh, you know, if, if you had all the money in the world, you've purchased everything you wanted to purchase, you, you're, you set your family up, you set your friends up. At this point, you've, you've you know, volunteered, you've done everything like this. What do you do now with your time? Right. Mm-hmm. And now that's a, that's an abundance-based question. Right. And so now we can start to get some more clarity about what your decisions would be if you weren't coming from a scarcity-based place. But essentially when I look towards this, it's like, can we wire ourselves to think like that? No. What we can do is consistently remind ourselves, but it's kind of like the way I see it is because we're, we have a biological system that we're operating with at all times. It's like, we have to kind of just get good at re-evaluating things, re-looking inwards and stuff. And it's a consistent process. I don't believe one wires and changes permanently that way uh, because it just, it doesn't make sense that it would be that way. What ends up happening is it's like, you can condition yourself to think a certain way, but, and to constantly remind yourself, but the Mm -hmm. process of trying to remind yourself, that means you're going to have to like be constantly aware of your ego's tricks. And one of the things I've noticed is that the smarter you are at recognizing these things, the ego will find a new way to kind of go about this. So have you ever noticed it's like if you're, uh, you know, you want to read a book or something, right? And the moment you go to read a book, now you're tired. Now you're tired, right? Mm-hmm. Or the time you have to like go do some work. And then I got to have a snack first. I got I to go to the bathroom first. Like, our, your biological system will trick you. You don't need to go to the bathroom. You don't need a snack. You don't need, you're not tired. You're only doing that because that's involved with changing. And your ego is going to do anything to just keep itself in a homeostasis where you're just the exact same and you're surviving. So to outwire that is not something that I would say is super possible, but I would say that you can get really good at trying to catch this and really good at being like, okay, listen, I'm going to stuff my ego here. I'm going to stuff my biological drives over here and I'm going to put my social conditioning in the back there. And while I'm holding <laughs> it, I'm going to, with my last hand, reach forward and be like, oh, there it is. This thing I want and like push it a little bit and like, and I got some results and he back away. And then the ego comes back in the biological systems come back in. So it's kind of like that in my mind. Like that self-sabotage shit. Oh yeah. But it's, I mean, and that, oh, that's like, you know, there could be so many reasons for the Mm self-sabotage, but it's, it essentially in my mind, is just like 
couldn't you wire yourself for the abundance? I'm like, I don't think you can, but what you can do is you can recognize that your brain is a meaning making machine. It's going to be constantly trying to make sense of all this shit that's going on and place meanings to stuff that aren't accurate. And the more you question that, the more you get used to like deconstructing reality like that. Mm-hmm. And like, this is very, I'm, I'm going to keep this simple. This one, this is, a, so there's going to be a lot of misunderstandings. What I say is, but <laughs> in my new book, I talk about levels of, of self-awareness. Yeah. And so I talk about the very first level of self-awareness is realizing how subjective reality is. Mm-hmm. So you realize like, oh my goodness, when I change my thoughts, I change my, how I feel about stuff, right? That's level one. Mm-hmm. Level two is essentially like, oh, okay. Like, so the person who cuts me off in traffic, instead of being like, oh, fuck that guy, right? Like, instead of doing yeah. that, you're just like, what if that guy uh, was late for a job interview? He had to supply, you know, he, had to, he needed to get this job to pay for hospital bills for a sick kid. And that's why he cut you off. He could have even flipped you off. And you're going to be like, hey, right away, go for the job, man. Go for the job. And you're going to now be supportive for him just based on the narrative you were, you were mm-hmm. choosing, right? Wait, go. pause mm-hmm. there for a hot second. Okay. Number one, have you ever heard Armchair Expert with Doc Shepard? Oh, man, have this, you listened to that podcast? If I can listen to it, number one. Yeah, okay. Number two, <laughs> that's one of my favorite just to listen to. Um, number two, he talked about something called like behavioral theory or whatever. Okay. Maybe you know what that is. But essentially what it is is like you make assumptions on how other people think based on how you think. So if like someone cuts you off, and me and my friend were talking about this because if people cut me off in traffic, I'm like, Oh, uh, like they're probably have their, their, my friends make fun of me. Cause I always say, Oh my God, they're acting from a wounded place. <laughs> like that's what I say. And now it's a running joke. And anytime anyone does anything, they're like, did yell, they were acting from a wounded place. Um, but that's just <laughs> what I think. I'm like, Oh, like, cause no one would do anything mean to anyone else unless they were just acting from like a triggered or wounded place. And then my friend's like, no, nah, everyone's an asshole. And like all that stuff. And they just fucking cut people off because they're dicks. But it's pretty much like you assume other people's emotional state based on your emotional state. And I was just yeah. wondering what your thoughts were on that. Well, stick with, hold on, hold okay. on. Cause we're, we're, we're diving in deep here. Okay, so, this, cool. so that's level two awareness, right? It's just recognizing like, Oh shit. Like if I change the story, I change the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Level three awareness is where you start to get into. And this is where most of people I'd say start to stop, which is like, if I'm just selecting my own narratives, is it just bullshit? And you get into nihilism and that's where you're like, well, if I'm just selecting stuff, meaning is it, just that there's no meaning at all. And I'm the one placing meaning. And then people go into nihilism. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is where most people stop. I find that this is where most philosophy stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is why I was like, so inspired to write this next book. Cause I was like, shit, people get stuck here. And they're like, life's pointless, da, 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 and nihilistic of things. Right. Oh yeah. And then like existential crisis of like, Oh my yeah. God. Was, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, then it goes into this. This is where I've kind of taken it from there. So the next level of this wow. is to recognize when I disengage, I'm free from outcome. So I'm now free from anything. I'm just, I'm kind of just existing and I don't actually have any emotions in a certain sense. You become nihilistic, right? But that's boring as fuck, isn't it? So what's fun? It's kind of fun when Susan at the office pisses off Dale and we watch the drama unfold. It's kind of fun when we get pissed pissed off at someone else it's kind of fun when there is like this drama unfolding it's kind of fun when there's these challenges when it's just like i don't know how to figure this shit out i'm like i'm just hammering my head against the wall with this business and i can't seem to get this stuff to work so what we realize in this next level is it, i want to engage for fun but i want to disengage for freedom mm. and you can see that's a different place to come from because when you when the context changes when we actually engage for fun 
then it's like, it's a different game because when you're just in the thick of it and it's Dale took your, your promotion at work or something, right? On the Dale, fucking Dale. Like, fucking I have Dale. these like, these old fucking names. Dale, like, man. <laughs> Susan and Dale. And like, but, but it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, when you're in the thick of it, this shit sucks because yeah. you're just in the thick of it. You're experiencing it and all the meanings getting thrown at you. So the trick of it is to know you are naturally wired to engage human beings are naturally wired for survival to engage, to place meaning on things. Mm-hmm. So when you recognize that that's the survival core, the survival core is to, I need to make sense of shit. So I place the meaning onto things. When you recognize that that's what we're doing, I don't think you ever stop that. But what I, you can do is you can get very good at disengaging. But what you notice for people who are nihilistic or you notice people who have disengaged permanently in a certain sense, they're doing something to maintain that state. They're actually being like, life has no meaning. That's a fucking mantra. They're saying things, they're mm-hmm. thinking things, they're habituating behaviors to maintain that state. And you'll notice that they, they don't even, they're not even fully there because they still engage with shit that bothers them. Mm-hmm. Okay? So they just don't have fun. <laughs> so yeah. That's essentially it. But when you understand this from like a, an awareness point of view, when you have the ability to engage for fun, disengage for freedom, when you engage for freedom, things become just more interesting. You do things from an abundance plate. It's like, I, I'm, I'm just kind of inspired to do this right now. I'm kind of just interested in that topic. Ah, I kind of want to see what happens with this relationship. I kind of wanted to see what happens with, and that, that right there is what I'd imagine is very much coming from the abundance core. Because now you're willingly accepting the bullshit. You're willingly accepting this chaos. And you're doing it for entertainment's sake because to not do it is boring. So that's, that's the next stage. Then it kind of goes, there's a couple other stages from here. But for to answer your question, that's kind of why I started to look at that. So, so good. Yeah. Okay, no. wait, how are you doing for time? Can I ask you two questions? Absolutely. And why I say, can I ask you two questions? Because they might go on tangents. So I just want to make sure you're good. Okay. Okay. So with that, like moving like towards that, how, how would you explain like, um, in this whole hustle success, Mm. just do it like high, high goals and all that stuff. And like feeling this need to like almost prove yourself with the goals or prove yourself with the money or prove yourself with like all these things. How would you, like, how do you, I guess, um, function from a place of when you create goals or like creating that outcome or something like that? Cause I even found like, I, me and my friends were having a conversation about this the other day is like attaching to those outcomes and then being let down. So I guess my question is like, how do you deal with letdowns? How do you deal with wanting to do these big, incredible, amazing things? And then that fear that comes in like, Oh, what if it's just going to be a letdown or like, what if this doesn't work out or like all that stuff? Hmm. <clears throat> so how do you get rid of the, the thing of letdown? So like, yeah, or, letdown or like attaching so deeply to the outcome. Yeah. Well, I'd say then the, the, I would say the issues, then the place in which that motivation to start with is, is kind of fucked. So like mm-hmm. you realize where it's like, okay, well, you know, if, if you're fueled by some sort of external thing, like mm-hmm. that's already, you're kind of fucked with it because like the reality mm-hmm. of the fact is like, when you get that thing, like really think about goals for a second. Mm-hmm. Goals are really going to make you happy for two seconds, but mm-hmm. we need some sort of outcome. So again, we're dealing with paradox here where the one side of it is like, yes, be absolutely outcome dependent, be very, very driven, get very fucking serious. Cause for every time that you, you want to sleep in, I'm getting up and hitting the gym for every time you want to go and, you know, not read that book. And you want to watch TV. I'm like studying my ass off. And there's guys and women and there's, there's, there's all sorts of people who want it so fucking badly that they will work 18 hours a day. They will cut out their family life, friends life. They will, cut, they will financially sacrifice everything. 
They will do everything to get this result. And so there are people who are that driven and they get results. And the flip side, though, is just like, well, fuck, I don't want to have to do all that shit. So that's one side of this. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is very much just like, okay, well, you got to flow with this. You got to be inspired to things. You don't want to have to hustle it. You, you know, come from a place of inspiration, these sort of things. Both are valid, but they're paradoxical. And, mm-hmm. and so I kind of look towards it like sometimes in life you need to hustle your ass off and you need yeah. to work a lot harder. And other times you really do need to let go. And sometimes in letting go, it really is like, that's allowing you to actually come from a more motivated place. So when we look towards like, okay, I'm afraid of like, you know, I want to be outcome dependent, but I don't want to like, you know, what if it doesn't pan out? It's like, well, first off as well, it's like, why are you doing this? Like, like I made way more fucking money with other businesses. This is like the least amount of money I've ever made from any of my businesses. Like, I made way more in construction. I made way more when I had a carpet cleaning company. I, I was going to say that carpet cleaning company, though. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I did better in other businesses than I did with this. But the reason I'm doing this is because I'm genuinely, I, I dislike what I see in the mm. industry. Mm. And so mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, oh, okay, someone's got someone's to fix this. I guess it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't mean to say like I could fix it, but rather it's just like, I'm so irritated with a lot of the stuff I see. Like when I look at like the hustle mentality of stuff, it's like, there's, there's problems to each side of this. Right. And it's like, I just, I don't see right and wrong. I just kind of see like tools and what's being more emphasized versus not. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like to, uh, to dive into that question, that's a, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying not to rant. I, keep, I hope you can see that. I just like, I'm holding back with this shit. That's but so funny. I, but I'm yeah. the same way is like when I was like, fuck this shit, that whole out of professional thing came because there's this like weird outcome. Like what I see from the circles that I run in um, in the online space in certain, like very, I would say feminine centered, like female, like boss babies, like circles on the online space is very much like industry standards are like such a thing. Like people are just like expecting someone to tell them what, when they, when they are going to be successful, like what's going to be like the 10 K month, what's going to be like this, like other thing that they need to get. When are you going to get featured in Forbes? Like when are these like things going to happen in order to validate you? And so this is where this whole like unprofessional thing came from for me is that I was just like, why are we all fucking just like so obsessed with each other's approval versus our own like fulfillment? Yeah. I mean, and, but it changes, right? Cause you have bills, totally you want to make money and this sort of stuff. Yeah, so totally. The one side of it is like, if someone has a formula, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. The other side of this is like, well, and, and this is where, for me, it's like, I'm not doing this because, uh, because it makes me money. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, this, this to me is like something where it's like, I just, I literally, it boggles my mind and I get obsessed on something. And the only way I can free myself of that obsession is to bloody write about it or make content about it. And it's also like, I feel like I have a moral obligation. Uh, like those, this world has nothing for me. Mm-hmm. I have things to give to the world. And that's the big difference. And so I'm not, yeah, it's... Yeah. One of those things where I'm not, I'm just here thinking about like, okay, what can I, how can I best serve? What's the best yeah. way for me to serve while I'm on this earth? And it's not by cleaning carpets. It's my, you know, as, as good of as a job I did. <laughs> like I my, was great. That's, yeah, like- so that's the one side of it. So the place in which all of this stuff comes from. So when I get setbacks, and it's funny because you're saying this and I'm like, I don't really feel like I've had setbacks. I don't, because I don't really, I'm not doing this for an outcome. Like that. ah, but that's so good though. That's like so yeah. good. Cause that's the thing is like, 
being so obsessed. And even I got into this. I, I say that I like killed surface level Danny. Like she died when passionate, like passionate paycheck and all those fucking courses like died. Okay. I killed surface level Danny because yeah. I was doing it all to like make an income and all this stuff. And I'm like, at a core, I'm a fucking artist and I'm just here to fuck shit up on this earth and like make people feel really happy and like fulfilled in what they do. And like, just let people like really elevate people to a standard where they are free to just be who they are all the time. And I'm like, that's just what I'm here to be, what I'm here to do. So why am I holding things accountable to other people's subjective ideas of what I need to do? Yeah, it's like, well, you, you should do things because you, yeah, you like, you, it's fun for you. It's enjoyable for you. Like, yes. I, and it's weird in the one sense, I, what I like about the unprofessionalism is like, I, I didn't know that I would be doing it like this. Like, mm-hmm. here's how it, it unfolds in a certain way. So like, essentially, like when I work with people, I'm like, oh, they want to know what their purpose is in life, which is very, very complex to get into. But simply yeah. put, it's like, folk, what do you focus on your purpose? Like you're thinking about like what makes you money, what makes you happy and what the market wants. Yeah. That, those, that's too much variability in then answering that question. Your mind can't even process that nuance of a question for most people. So instead, I'm like, just how about this? Fix your own fucking shit. <laughs> work on yourself like yeah. you have you're anxious with with guys you're anxious with girls focus on that you're you you don't have your money figured out focus on that whatever your issues are just focus on that don't bother monetizing that don't bother even trying to sell or teach that just fix your sh- and as you fix your shit you will start to gain insight and you'll have to learn about this stuff and it's a slow brutal process and as you learn about this and as you fix these issues then eventually what will happen is you'll have a series of information that, you know, someone, it's like this, the more, the more personal the wound, the more it fucking hurts, the more universal the wound. So what's going to happen is like, it's like, if you are, if you're anxious, you're like, I'm just a weird guy. I got like a perverted fucking mind. Mm -hmm. I got like all these weird jokes and shit. And like, I don't want to dare say that stuff in public, like this Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Right guess what? It's like, that's the kind of stuff that most likely other people experience as well. And so for me, it's like, just focus on fixing the things you want to fix and that you're just naturally worried and and obsessed with a little bit. And in doing that, you will gain a series of insights. You'll take tools from other people. You'll get your own stuff. And then at that point, if it's just what you do and you're just like serving in that way and just like helping people, you'll start helping people for free with this. And then it'll just make sense. So for me, it's like, I've always been obsessed with philosophy and psychology and personal development. I've also been very obsessed with new media. I love like n- making, and you, I think you've seen some of my stuff. Like it looks pretty fucking pristine. Yeah, like, like holy, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like your shit is so good. My shit's like, I just like make fucking ridiculous videos on the internet with like iMovie. And it's like really like 10th grade <laughs> Danielle style skill. <laughs> but like your shit looks so good. So, but it's like, I'm, I'm obsessed with new media. I love like, yeah. th- like visually how things can appear. So for me, it's like, I, I already know that like the, it's one of those things where I'm like, that's just, I just enjoy it. I enjoy making people also laugh. And like the big thing for me is I enjoy the ups and downs. I enjoy being controversial and that devil's advocate. Yeah. I enjoy scaring the shit out of people, like startling people. I'm so, I hate being startled, but I love startling people. Like, I love scaring the shit out of people, but if people scare the shit out of me, I get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like. Yeah. But at the core of that, it's emotional variability. I love when I take someone from like absolutely fucking suicidal depressed to like, fuck yeah, man, I'm in this. I'm going to thank you mm-hmm. so much. And I love the ups and downs. I love being able to provide that. And so here's three things. Emotional variability, new media, obsession with psychology, philosophy. I did not know I was going to be making courses online 10, mm-hmm. 20 years later. Mm-hmm. It didn't register. They just kind of naturally formed together. 
And you're like, oh, I guess I could kind of do this. And it was like, I didn't, to be honest, I just kind of, I put out that book for me because I knew I would forget because I knew how the brain operates. So I wrote a book for me and then that became quite well known. And then, then I made it into a course. So I'm like, I just, I want to visually see myself doing these exercises because I know I'm going to, if I, I have a natural proclivity to be introverted, to stay in words, to like mm-hmm. kind of keep to myself. And I know that causes me pain. So I also know that if I create a video of me doing it, I'm like, oh, there's the step-by-step, Justin. I made this shit for myself. Mm-hmm. And then in doing it, people also really enjoyed watching and stuff like that. And then, you know, you, I can market it and whatnot like this. And that's where the other business side of it comes into. But to be honest, I posted it online for me. And then mm-hmm. it started selling. And then people really liked it. And it became a bestseller. And then it was like, okay, shit. Uh this is a something. And I was like, I guess this is better than doing carpets. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, I guess, I guess, I guess I'm doing this. And when I graduated university, uh, literally, I remember thinking, I was just like, I got offered some pretty high paying jobs and stuff. Cause I have like a wicked resume. Right. But it's yeah. like, so my resume is pretty fucking solid to be in the corporate world. A lot of volunteer experience, a lot of leadership experience. Like I, I ran like the student government and stuff for my school. So yeah. it's like, Huh. A lot of this stuff, but as soon and I got these job offers and I remember thinking, I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to, because I'm going to get too accustomed to the comforts of like high paying jobs and things like this. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, Justin, just, let's just fucking go for it. Let's, let's give it my all. And it was kind of a burn the boat sort of thing. So I was like, I was like, yeah, no, no, thanks. I'm not going to take the jobs. I, I collapsed the other businesses. I, and I went full bore into doing this and I was like, okay, we're going to go full bore. And it, it's an absolute brutal struggle to do it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I won't teach money is because I haven't figured it out how to take your passions and monetize them just yet. When I get to a point, like I have a 10 X rule. So it's like, not like the Grant Cardone 10X, but like yeah. <laughs> mine, mine is more like if I can't produce 10% of what I'm able to achieve to you, then I shouldn't be selling it or producing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if, mm-hmm. if, if you got 10% of my confidence, you'd be fine. You don't need to produce this crazy ass theory shit online and like, you know, swear in front of children. You don't need, like, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to do that. But that, I, I, I felt that on a soul level. Yeah. yeah it's like some people just need to raise their hand in a meeting. Some people just need to ask out that person they're attracted to. Yeah. And in that, if you do my courses, you're going to get that. You trust yeah. me, you're going to get. So the flip side is like, I will teach money eventually. I really do because I, in my, one of the weird things I noticed is like, if you're not making at least $50,000 a year, most likely coaching is not going to be very viable for you. Your mm-hmm. life will actually improve just dramatically alone by fixing your finances. Like, mm-hmm. so it's one of those things that I don't take clients that don't make over 50,000 a year at least because they're not going to have the level of disposable income to like make this worth it. So one of the other things too, is it's like people suffer because of money. People suffer mm-hmm. because of the pain of it. Right. And like just not having enough and the stress that comes with that. I really want to help people with that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to teach how to make $100,000 until I can earn a million myself. That's mm-hmm. my own personal ethical code rule. Which but, is so good for like integrity too. Cause it's yeah. the same thing. It's like, I, I'm just like sick. Like I'm just sick of people teaching too on shit that they're not in integrity with. And I was teaching on some stuff. Like I was teaching content and strategy and all that stuff, which I'm like, yeah, I can fucking do it. I'm really fucking good at it, but it's my heart's on it. So why would I teach it? It's just like, just being really real with yourself too. Of like, what are you actually here to give? It'll eat away, and you'll notice like it eats, it's exhausting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would avoid people's emails and Voxer messages and be like, oh, fuck, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> but like, and that's how yeah. you know, like, you're not doing what you want to do. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's exhausting, right? Because it's like, if you're, 
if you're having to do something that's like, and again, oh, this shit's just paradoxical because sometimes <laughs> it's okay to suffer. Like yeah. it's okay to suffer for a couple, like in my mind, I'm like, most people don't realize what they're capable of. They mm-hmm. think they need eight hours of sleep. I've operated on four hours of sleep for a long time. I've worked 18 hour days pretty regularly. Like you can, you can learn to adapt pretty quickly. Your external environment will change you. So one side of it is like, yeah, you want to get into the business, just recognize this is going to be a massive amount of suffering. This is going to be a massive amount of difficulty. It's not supposed to be easy, but in doing that, you will learn contrast. You will learn very much how to appreciate things that you once took for granted. So when it's like, oh shit, I can't pay my bills. I need to get clients and stuff like this. You just see how much you appreciate paying your bills, right? And it's just like, it's little things like that. So I've always wondered like, is business, the whole point of it is just to gain that contract. Like when people, people push business, like be an entrepreneur, da, da, da. It's like most entrepreneurs massively depressed, massively suffer. It's super stressful. Why on earth are they pushing it? Uh, Mm. Part of me wonders, like, is it just because when you do it, you actually learn to appreciate? Like I actually, like, I know from getting so low on finances, barely struggling where I'm like, holy shit. And like barely affording food level, stuff like this. It's Mm -hmm. just like, oh man, like, I now appreciate the different types of bread because I'm like, oh yeah, my protein bread's in. Oh, this is the 12 grain. Like little things you didn't realize that you'll now start to like and stuff, right? But it's like, but you do this because, and this is the thing, there's a big difference because the place in which I come from to do all this work is like, I've already, when I was a lot younger, I made really, really good money for my age and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it was so, but I also, I realized that society's requirements for happiness are not my own. So I actually did make very good money. I actually did get the cars I wanted, the outfits I wanted. I, I had the abundance level of cash that you wanted, you know, had all the, had the girls, had the cars, had the, literally had, girls had the cars. Oh God. Like it doesn't like literally what you would think someone would tell you is like, what's the best life you can have at a certain level. I've actually achieved at a very young age. Now the mm-hmm. problem was, I remember very clearly hitting this moment where it was like, my entire, it was like, I had a picture perfect thing. So it's like, I'm on vacation. I'm in this hot tub, fireworks go off. And I'm like, and this thing goes off and it's like, my brain just like shifted. Holy shit. I'm not happy. What the fuck is this? Oh my God. And it was like, I had the businesses, the money, cars, girl, and then it's like, this shit doesn't do it for me. And I had that at a very young age. So that was lucky in that sense. But then now it's just like, okay, I can always go back to that if I want, but I, I know it doesn't make me happy. And so it's like the stuff that I like to do, study psychology, study philosophy, make people laugh with, with my crazy content and make cool mm-hmm. looking visual stuff. When people see that, yeah. Jesus, I, I think half the time when people it's look at so my stuff, cool. they might not even know what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, he rambles. But I just, <laughs> oh, him, yeah, he just talks about stuff. Yeah, it's like, but damn, it looks cool. Like it's visually cool. Like, yeah. So I don't know why people like my stuff in some sense of it. It could just be that, but the end of the day is like, I enjoy doing this and it's not, it's not actually taxing for me to do. Uh, mm. So that's why, and what you'll notice is people drop out. So people get really hyper-motivated. They'll do that for one, two, three years. And then they're like, no, I can't do this anymore. And they drop out and they go get a corporate job. They go get some sort of thing. I've been at this for well over a decade and it's yeah. just like making videos. And, but it's not because it's work. It's because it's like, I've already realized that the other shit doesn't make me happy. I've already gotten it. So Mm-hmm. so now it's just like oh this is i like doing this shit i could do this forever and then 18 hour days don't seem so scary then it's just like i'm oh, obsessed yeah. and i'm like so that's the, I'm the same way i like get fucking obsessed and then i just like 
Yeah, like 15 hour days. I'm like, oh, I forget that not everyone works like that. <laughs> like, oh, what? Like, yeah. that's just me, like my inspirational flow zone of shit. Yeah, and there's this quote Have you seen The Disaster Artist? Oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, oh. my God. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, like, fuck. I, and I almost got a double major in film. So, like, I, like, love film. Anyways, the room. Anyways, there's this one quote you might remember from The Disaster Artist. They were talking about acting and how, like, one of the um, characters or whatever had to drive in and it was, like, a huge thing just to be on this, like, shitty movie set. And she's like, one of the hardest days on a film set is still one of the best days of my life. And I'm just like, that is exactly how I feel in my business. Like, some of the hardest fucking days where like, yeah, money is tight, shit's tight, things aren't working, you're fucking, something flopped, or you feel like shit, or you feel like an imposter is still one of the best days of my life, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And like the thought of going back, because even me, I'm like, I could easily fucking go back to teaching makeup, special effects makeup, going to schools, going to the Catholic school, teach voice, and like get paid like $300 an hour, like that, like no problem. I could do like, go like teach kids all this shit, but I would not be happy. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. and it's it's so the place in which it comes from. It's like yeah. that's like one of the oh you're I, were you looking at the time how we I do don't, it? I no like, oh time's good. I was literally like right when you said that. I have this. Hold on, I'll show you. Hold on. So because of who I am as a person, I have like okay. all these fucking like quotes and all this shit. I don't know if you've seen my Instagram stories. Like my desk is oh like, those was like. Are those those like little, little cart? Oh yeah, I always see those. I'm like, what are, these? what are these things? What are those? I have so many. If you want, if you want any, you let me know. I have like fucking so many decks of cards. In my cool, life. cool. That's- this is Danielle Laporte. I fucking love her. If you're into like poetry or any of that shit, she's really good. Um, for anyone listening, I have affiliate codes. Anyways, affiliate codes, um, <laughs> guys. But she does the desire map, and it says your fulfillment stems from your motives. Hmm. Yeah, I fucking love it. But I have like little reminders. One of them says that you're a goddamn magical unicorn. So I like that. <laughs> but like your fulfillment stems from your motives. But we're doing pretty good for time. But um, okay. probably wrap it up a little time soon. But there's one more thing that I want to ask you because sure, now yeah. I'm like, it's in the forefront of my head now. You were talking about like if looks matter. And I'm really interested yes. in that because I teach on energy. Mm-hmm. And I would like your opinion on that. Like, like in what context were you guys talking about that? It can be literally on every, every single thing. Cause like, well, okay. So first off you can see that, like, we can look at the statistics of stuff to say that like, okay, like good looking people make more money. And we also have a proclivity to trust good looking people. Yeah. But wait a second. What if, see, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to be devil's advocate for you is seeing like attractiveness is subjective. Uh, no. Yes, it is. Uh, attract. Tell me more. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's, there's two different things. There's primal drive for short-term selection and sexual mating. And then there's okay. long-term there. Yes. Sorry. I'm going to get this. science straight now. Okay. Continue. Oh no. Is that there are psychological secondary values that we want. So you can tell that there's two things. So when we look at, when we talk about attraction, it's important to differentiate between short-term mating strategies and long-term dating strategies. Long-term dating strategies have to do with psychological values. So what okay. we value as individuals, those are not unique. People okay. think that they're on their own random path. We can okay. see very clearly it's developmental. So it, and that, that's that spiral dynamic stuff okay. where I talk about. That's one yeah, side. But what about like people's types? Like if people have types. So when you, so types in terms of stuff, those are just like these archetypal characters that match the value systems typically. So okay. 
that's one side of it. But when we look at towards like short-term mating strategies, so let's just talk about like if just straight sex, like welcome to sex, money, and politics. Like <laughs> <laughs> such an interesting. I'm just like this is fascinating because me and my friend were talking about this the other day, and just like we were just like talking about like relationships, all this stuff, and like we just have like such different fucking like yeah. Everything so, is so different. Like for me, it's like if someone doesn't challenge me on an intellectual level, I'm like, bye bye, thank you, next. In the words of Ariana yeah. Grande. But like, <laughs> right? I know it's hilarious. This one taught me style dynamics. <laughs> this one, like, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But yeah, it's like that, and they're like, really, like, uh, that's so. Like, it's just so polar opposite, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm like, t- it's so subjective. And even like, what we find attractive like physically attractive is so different. Uh, yeah. And, and that's not, I have not found that to be the case when I've worked with people because if, okay. here's the, again, once I said, if something seems automatic or random, that just means you're unaware of the variables that are creating the result. So okay, there are variables. More. So in a sense, if we talk about just the sex side, right? Yeah. Well, we can see that I'll give you a prime example here okay. is uh, there are different evolutionarily coded traits that we look for in terms of our mates. So okay. what will happen is that men have a proclivity towards visual cues. Uh-huh. So they're looking towards who am I, who's going to survive when I impregnate them. That's literally, it's, it's ugly, but I'm telling you, there's a certain <laughs> element so to this. funny, yeah. But we for like women, her. Though, she is good. <laughs> oh, God. It's just a caveman. Like, it, just, it really is. Like, but, but for, so funny. Yeah. So, but then for women, it's more cognitively cued. The amount of women I've talked to, but they're like, he was so attractive until he opened his mouth. Like, that's so- <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I watched the Mindy project and Mindy Kaling okay. is like one of my favorite fucking people because okay. like, I just know pop culture references <laughs> like that, but um, she's just super fucking funny. And I think like comedy is the highest form of intelligence. But anyways, there's mm-hmm. this one part. She used to be a writer for the office. So she wrote the Mindy project. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's super fucking funny. And it's really cool. good. But she like looks at this one guy in one of the episodes and she's like, you know what? Like my body is really attractive uh, to you. <laughs> but like when you open your mouth, I just want to punch you directly in your face. <laughs> that's so accurate. But yeah. Okay. Anyways. So, but there's reasons for why that's actually more of a universal thing. That's why it's even relatable. Mm-hmm. It's because it's cognitive based. Here's another thing I can point is that we can see in testing that there is jealousy differences. So say, for example, you're starting to get to know someone, right? And you're just, yeah. you, you, this person's perfect. Yeah. The relationship's going well. You're just starting to get to know them. And you guys decide to have a chat about your exes. Okay. Yeah. And when this conversation's <laughs> going up. Okay. Yeah. I have a question right? for you after, but wait, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I have a fear. Okay. Yeah. Go. So <laughs> what ends up happening though, is that we know again, women are more in tune for that cognitive thing. Primarily mm-hmm. men are more, and these, these are general rules. They are. Okay, we're going to have to bring you back strictly for us to like have like I, a one on like relationships. And we'll have like one podcast. Okay. Yeah. So I continue. So what ends up happening though, and when we look at jealousy differences is it's yeah. shown that women are going to be more tuned to like, here's the thing. So it's like, it would hurt more to find out that this guy you've really been falling for, you really like, mm-hmm. he's fallen in love with 15 other women. That would hurt way more than to find out he slept with 50 women, right? For a lot of women. Now, oh, okay. so there's jealousy. Yeah. Like, which one's going to ping more? When you're like, ah, fuck, I didn't want to hear that, right? Like, which one stings a little more? Now, it's not the same for everyone. There are exceptions, and this has to do with the secondary psychological. But I'm talking more primarily focused. If you talk with guys, you'll notice that what happens is like, you're like, well, there was this one guy. We had such a deep, passionate relationship. Yeah, I don't know how many guys did you fuck? Like, <laughs> It's just the number. It's just the damn number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's reasons for that. Not, not, it's not all guys. Like I said, these are broad stroke rules when we're talking about primal dating yeah. selection. 
Now, people transcend that with psychological, like, you know, consciousness and stuff like this and values. But as a good rule of thumb, that's what it ends up looking like. So these things are hard-coded into us. Why We, we can even see that women change their th- – what they find attractive changes based on if they're on birth control, right? Yeah. We can see that what they're attracted to changes based on where they are in their cycle. So there's a lot of these things that we can see actually affect us. And our biologies tend to affect us a lot more than our psychologies on this matter. Yeah. Now, here's the flip side, though. There's a Keep secondary. Yes. Wait a second. Okay, so on this topic of, like, talking about X and stuff like that, like, talking, like, strictly – Let's let's clarify. This is like strictly heteronormative, like sure, yes, yeah, ideologies, right? Um, and when it comes to like men, do you find that like women are more like, oh, I would like to know about your exes than like men are? Depends, because what ends up, what's really happening is yeah. that when people are attracted to one another, yeah. what's really happening underneath the core. Okay. Their inner wounded child is seeing someone else's inner wounded child and two matching insecurity levels are hitting each other and they're going, oh my God, you complete me, I complete you. And their insecurity levels match and that's what's creating the attraction. That's romance. But we can actually break down, when we look at something like love and we try to define that, well, we use love, we can love children, we can love cars, we can love partners, we can love Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. The word, there's a bit of an issue there. So there's three topics. One is romance, which is just insecurity levels matching that's all that is so that sense of like oh my god that's just romance and that's why it fades that needs to be like a valentine's day card by the way <laughs> like, I, I feel like love is oh just god. insecurities matching god, could you imagine like that's what i'm saying i'm not exactly a motivating dude <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like, this is so good <laughs> so but then there's also sexual polarity that's yeah. sex that's that that's a raw physical attraction yeah, yeah you can have sex with someone you don't love Mm-hmm. You can be attracted to someone you don't love. You can also love someone you don't want to have sex with. Yeah, right? yeah. So we have to recognize that these are really three topics. There's the romance insecurities. There's yeah. the polarity of the sexual attraction. And yeah. there's the love, which is the relating. So what you see in it, that's why you can look at a t-shirt and go, that's like me. I love that shirt because you relate to that shirt. Yeah. So these are three ways we use the word love. And they're actually very different subjects. But if you're just using it interchangeably, then the way that in which you define, oh, do I love this person? Do I, am I attracted to this person? Like if it's all intermeshed, you can see how difficult it is. It's very important to define things. So we could even look at something like people use the word jealous and it should be the word envy. So have you heard of this where it's like, we don't define these words. So think of it like this. Jealousy requires three people. Envy only requires two. But you don't say I'm envious of your vacation you're taking. You're like, oh, I'm so jealous. So jealous you're going on a vacation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not accurate. Now, we, when, we cha- when these words get confused, we start to experience them very differently because our language dictates our part of our reality. So you can see how important it is to actually define these things. So when we have a word like love, what people are defining as love or what, they're ex- what they want to experience is romance. And what that is based on is insecurity levels matching. And so when you can recognize that that's not going to last. You said, that, just, that just needs to be like, like on a, something for oh like God. Valentine's Day. Like you need to have your own line. Of like, a brutal truth cards. I'm going to have those cards that you have. And then they're just going to be like, love is, like, oh God. love is insecurities matching. Can you please make that happen? Oh I would Lord. buy them. I would 100% buy them. Oh. If you had like tarot cards that like were, hold on. Out of the 25 card jacks that I have in my life right now in my <laughs> office. But like these ones, like these are Gabby Bernstein. And it, mm. this one's like, 
I choose to reinterpret my fears from a more, a more loving perspective. And you should have one that's just like, insecure, <laughs> like love is insecurities matching. So, and okay, we'll, we'll take, let's take this into a lighter space. To actually, <laughs> what can you, what can I you love do with this? this? this is so like, what yeah. can you do with this information, right? Yeah. So you take information like this and we ask the question, we're going back to do looks matter and these mm-hmm. sort of things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and is it subjective or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. What we have to recognize is that when you have two components, you have this biological component and you have this psychological values component, mm-hmm. right? And the psychological values are based pretty much on your culture that you were raised on, your, your family, stuff like this. This is why when, you're, uh, when your parents are like, you just need to find a good guy. You just need to settle down mm-hmm. and find a good guy. And then when you're in a really low place, you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. But then when you're hanging out with your girls, you're having a good time, you're on your fucking game, you're in flow, your flow state, right? Flow like, zone. Flow zone. Shit, that was it. I was like, what is it? What's the second word? So it's like when you're in a flow zone, then you're like, no, you know what? I can, yeah, I can do, I can, I can, I can do my own thing. I can, I don't have to go get married and have a family and all this shit. I can just enjoy my life. And if the right guy comes, the right guy comes. There's a reason why your, your opinions will shift back and forth like that. They're not unique. They're actually based very much on a developmental pattern of values, right? So, and I can see it. I, this is where I look at someone's values. And so that's what that is. It's not, it's not unique. It's actually very, very, you, you follow a very particular pattern. Um, and that's actually a grand model for development. Yeah. So when it comes to like two different people, me and my friends are talking about this, of like habits of like the different like relationship patterns and habits and how like one person can be almost like attracted to someone being super into them. And like, that's like the thing. It's like, you need to be more obsessed with me so that I feel safer to like open up. And that's like the attractiveness. And then one, another person can be like, Oh, you being super into me actually makes me like not want to chase you so much. So like, what, how would you explain that with like, yeah, you said like the habit and like the attractiveness and like the patterns if it's yeah. all like, cause for me, I'm like, oh, it's all subjective based on like your own personal traumas, your experiences and like where you feel safe and how you feel loved and like blah, 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 blah. But like, what do you think? Okay. So I'll debunk that right away here. So, uh, oh my up, God, I'm excited. So what ends up happening is I can tell you this, uh, then we mm-hmm. won't like dive into your personal life. you be like, yeah, get this shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, I can almost tell you right now that anytime you found yourself, if you grew up in a household where your parents were very, they put a lot of pressure on you, they, they were really invested in your outcomes. They were put a lot of pressure on you to succeed. They were hyper-controlling maybe, mm-hmm. a lot of restrictions like this. I can tell you that what you're going to be attracted to is someone who probably didn't have that. They probably had an absent parent. They probably had like mm-hmm. a lot of like, they're just like, they got the, or maybe they just had the freedom that they could do whatever. And they kind of fucked up a lot. And you'll notice that there's two things. What's happening is you are going to psychologically be attracted to someone. And this is that childhood insecurity shit matching. You will be- That's love. That's what we learned today, love. kids. That's love. <laughs> well, it's like you're only going to be attracted to someone who matches your insecurity level. So it's like you will wow. find that uh, – and there's a great book on this. It's called um, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. And this talks about the yeah. nature of codependency. And so it talks about how a love avoidant will typically go with a love addict. And so one person, yes, needs to be like – they just they can't, they'll take it as much as they can because their parents didn't give them that level of engagement. The other person couldn't do anything right. So now they're seen as an authority. They're like, I can fix this person. I can help this person. I can engage in this person. And that dynamic right there will be the dynamic of their relationship. And so what you'll see is that one person loves investing and in trying to fix the other person. The other person loves being fixed because they never got that attention as a kid. So you can yeah. see it's like, and they're like, thank you so much. You're so great. You're so, you're always oh, so fantastic. 
they're getting the praise. They're giving that praise that the other person didn't get it as a, as a kid. So I can see your eyes. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so funny. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to my one friend that I was talking to last night. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have to listen to this podcast because then we'll continue our own conversation about this. Cause we were literally talking about this last night and it was just so funny. But yeah. So, so here's the takeaway from all, all this stuff. Cause it, mm-hmm. it seems, it seems you're like, oh my God, if we're all just operating on these things, what the hell. Right. So no, but this, it's so funny. I think I feel like I still like it's just interesting to hear your perspective too, and like because yeah. and it's super funny because I've definitely been. Uh, everyone who's listened to my po- like podcast knows like the whole unfiltered life of Danielle Driso. So um, even like me, it's like I had this huge habit to like fix people. Like, oh, mm-hmm. let me fix them. <laughs> like I could do it. Like I could fix it. Right. Like anything. <laughs> That's so funny because you were talking about that. How like one of the relationship patterns or whatever that I have been breaking is like being attracted to like people who I am like somehow the authority or I am somehow like the one that has their shit together in the relationship. And like, that's like a pattern. And then my, Mm. yeah, yeah. It was just like, so cool to like talk about that. So it, what it comes down to as well is that you have to realize like when it comes to attraction, things like this, if it's primally based, you're going to have primal nasty ass rules, which mean that they're going to be ugly ass rules. And mm-hmm. when we actually look towards, we peel the curtain back behind what is it that makes people's sexual selection? It's a pretty ugly reality because it's based primally. Secondarily though, there is a component which would feel like subjectivity, which is going to be psychological values. And just like, I resonate with this person. I don't resonate with that person. Mm-hmm. But there's that that whether you resonate or not has a lot more to do with what value system you go, like what value system you're on. If we look at like a spiral dynamics model or something, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I mean, <laughs> we could go into this forever, but it's, it's one of those things that ultimately there's a lot of things in society yeah. where, because it is primarily based like that, mm-hmm. the, the information you're not going, you're not going to get accurate information on this because if you ask your friends for advice, I'm like, how do I get a guy or something like this? And there's some pretty fucking clear things that you need to work on in the way that men make their selections for dating. And your friends aren't going to tell you that not mm-hmm. because they don't care, but because they just want to make you feel better. So there's, yeah. there's a, it's tough to get accurate information on this, right? If yeah. you're like, like, you know, it's like, if I'm narcissistic, or I have a control pattern like that. Could you imagine your friends saying like, well, the reason it does, doesn't work is this, this, like it's too raw. It's way too raw. Yeah. Like they're just like, no, just keep it, keep at it. You know, it's going to work out. But that's not constructive that's feedback better. that helps. Yeah. Me and my friends are complete opposite. We're like, oh, yeah. like friends. That's awesome. <laughs> well, like, what do you do when you're friends with a coach? There's, a, like, it's so funny. They always I, like, I oh, never coach my friends. Here. Oh, God. Oh, my my God. Friends, they're like, he's a crazy ass. Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Yeah. Like, I, I somehow, like, end up coaching. But I don't know. Coach Danny just comes out sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. Let's see. Sorry about they, that. Your friends end up being the, like, how you can get polished rhetoric. So yeah. you just start ripping shit, and then you're like, that was good. And then you just, like, use them as the rhetoric, like, the practice. So when you hit the camera, you're just like, fuck, damn, oh damn, damn, hitting all the good stuff. It's so funny, because even me and my friend Sam, when we drove we drove to Banff, like, last week or whatever, and I was okay. like, we should just fucking put a can- like a uh, fucking microphone in the car. I'm like, why is this not a podcast right now? Because it's so fucking good. Oh, and we're, like, talking about relationships. I was like, we should fucking talk about this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. I was like, there's like a, you had like the, the microphone like in the center console or like the. Oh my God, that was like, Fran. Oh yeah, fuck. I'm like, oh, we need to talk. We need to talk well, about like, now. That's what I was like. Oh shit. Yeah, we're going to get to do it in person. We get to do the whole like, like in the car. Because it's good isolation. You want it in person. <laughs> 
Yeah, this I'm is down, I'm down. We're in Calgary. We're both in Calgary. We're like, we're gonna Zoom chat. <laughs> we have to do part two. We'll do it in person. Oh, like, that's good. Okay, let's. Okay, we'll wrap this oh, up. This I know. Such a good. This is, okay, we gotta do part two in person, number one. But if right. you have a microphone to you right now, I do. And I was, I was, I was actually, I had like a full, like proper fucking like. Oh my god, like, look at you. Yeah. Everyone makes fun of me because mine looks like a giant dick. And because I always joke that like I'm gonna have um a live stream show. It's like a joke, but honestly, like Netflix, you're right? But it's gonna be called the Daily Dose of the D because it's your daily dose Ooh. of me. Hilarious. <laughs> Eggplant emojis for all. But anyways, yeah, that's it's a like, daily dickin. <laughs> your daily dose of the tea which is your daily dose of me. Oh. Um yeah, hilarious. And then some one of my friends, I said something like, um, I said, like, I don't know where it came out, but I said something like soul fucked. And they're like, yeah, I just got to get your soul fucked by the <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Too much. Oh Wait. God. Anyways, if you had a microphone to the whole world, what would you say? What's like one thing that you want to leave people with? One, Jesus. I know. One thing, you got yeah. like one sentence. I want, I would like a one haiku. One sentence? Okay. Uh, oh. If you could leave people with a haiku. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even remember what haikus were in English. Five, seven, five? I don't know. So that's all I remember. I can't remember words. So anyways, just one, like, what would you like to leave people with? This is a cause and effect world. And if you're unable <laughs> to figure out why things are a certain way, understand that there is a recipe for that. And it, it just comes down to hard studying, comes down to putting in the work. Um, yeah. And, and this, there's to realize the flexibility of it. Like there's a lot of flexibility to your life and there's a lot of control you have in this. So it's just recognizing what you can control, what you can't, and working with the variables. Oh my God, That's spice. Yeah, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. We'll stop there. I was like, damn, that got so serious. You're like, ah. So anyways. This is, this is kind of my, my kind of, my nature is like hyper serious and then super silly. <laughs> like, that's so funny. Okay. I'm going to stop there, Courtney. But thank you cool. so much for being on the show. Thank I'm you so for having me. about this. Cool. It was fun. Great chatting with you. You know, thanks for letting me rant my ass off here like crazy. Oh. <laughs> it was awesome. Everyone's going to love it. Okay. Everyone cool. say bye Justin. Bye. See ya. I hope you love, love, loved that episode. You want to come hang out with me a little bit more and maybe talk some more leadership love and unfiltered voice, then you can go ahead and find me on social media at Danny Driuso. And I would love for you to come join me in my private Facebook community. This is where the conversation continues. Okay. So I'm always in there giving you guys live trainings and information and just making sure that you guys are fully supported in your business life and leadership. Okay. It's a totally free Facebook community and you can find the link below in the show notes to come join me there. And I would love, love, love for you guys to leave me a review if you feel so moved to and let me know how you are loving these episodes. Okay. And maybe who you want to see on next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Unleash Your Voice podcast and go be bright, be bold, and be you.